Hello, friends. It's Paul White. It's the Deeper Daily Podcast, and it's the third day of May. Thank you for joining me in our journey through the Gospel of Mark. If you are following along every day here on the podcast, you know that we have been coming out of this transfiguration story and that we paused yesterday, gave you just a slightly shorter podcast than is normal because I come up against this statement that Jesus makes at the end of the transfiguration story when the disciples ask him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? This is a question they ask in Mark 9, 11. And I told you yesterday that it was just, it's too big of an answer to try to squeeze into a minute or two. It's, it might be too big of an answer to squeeze into one podcast. So at least today, maybe tomorrow, let's deal with this. Let's start with the narrative in Mark 9 before we get into the theology. The narrative has Peter, James, and John coming down transfiguration in which Jesus has told them on the way down the mountain that they're not to tell anyone what they've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So they keep it to themselves, but they question amongst themselves what the rising of the dead meant. And we talked about that yesterday. I'll leave that alone. That led to the question of today, which was obviously sparked by the fact that they had just seen Elijah. They're standing at the top of the mountain. They see Moses and Elijah. The scribes have been saying that Elijah must come. Elijah must come. Let's figure out and, and we're, 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 in the, we're in the narrative, but now let's add the theology. Why do they say that the scribes say that Elijah must come? Okay, Malachi chapter 4. Malachi marks the final book of what we call the Old Testament. The Hebrews would have the Hebrew Bible, and of course theirs contains some books that ours do not. Um, but, and... and different order as well. If you ever pick up a Hebrew Bible, some of them are in a little different order than you might be used to looking at in the Christian version. But in in both cases, Malachi is where the end of the narrative is. And it's about four centuries before Christ, the, the prophecies of the book of Malachi. Listen to the last chapter of Malachi chapter 4 and see if you can determine where the disciples might have come up with this question that they asked Jesus about Elijah coming. Beginning in verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth, earth with a curse. So it, it's not hard to find out why the scribes are teaching that Elijah has to come before what they call the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, they don't assume the great and dreadful day of the Lord is judgment against Israel. They assume the great and dreadful day of the Lord is judgment against the earth. This is why they're looking for a Messiah to institute the great and dreadful day of the Lord, in which the Messiah leads the charge against the oppressors who possess the land, in this case, the Roman Empire. Now, you'll notice that this prophecy is connected to the law of Moses. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him. Behold, I will send you Elijah. So if you're Peter, James, and John, you're standing on a mountain one day with Jesus, 
and there's an explosion of light and Jesus shines, and we're using Mark's narrative, Jesus shines with a light so white that it's like snow and no launderer on earth could whiten his clothes to this level. And lo and behold, to the left is Moses and to the right is Elijah. And you've been hearing your entire life that before the day of the Lord, Elijah's coming. And there's Moses and Elijah in the Malachi 4 prophecy. And there's Moses and Elijah standing next to Jesus. How would you take it any other way? So as they're coming down the mountain and Jesus goes, keep this quiet until after the resurrection. They're going, okay, well, we don't really know what the resurrection means. But can we ask you a question? What's all this about Elijah come first? Because what they've seen is Elijah was right there on that mountain. And the reason Peter says, let's build three tabernacles, is he's convinced that they're staying. That the reason they've appeared is because they're ushering in the Malachi 4 prophecy. There's the servant Moses. There's the prophet Elijah. Here's the one that's going to bring the great and terrible day of the Lord, Jesus. So Peter goes, let's build three tabernacles. This is it. This is the beginning of the end. And Jesus is the only one left on the field. This is my beloved son, hear him. Now, don't tell anybody about this till after I've risen from the dead. Well, Peter goes, well, okay, I'm confused. We've been waiting on you to show up, but we've been told that Elijah's going to show up before you do. And by the way, we just saw him. <laughs> so, so what's going on? Jesus answers in verse 12, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So if Elijah's coming to restore, to get things right, why would they mistreat the Son of Man? So then Jesus answers his own question, verse 13. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Let's go back to narrative for a moment. Mark's the first gospel. Matthew and Luke build off of what Mark says. They round it out in a way. And when Matthew tells the story of the transfiguration, it's in chapter 17 of Matthew's gospel. The disciples ask Jesus the same question. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus says this in Matthew 17, 11, and 12. Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Now, the difference here is that Jesus says, likewise, the Son of Man is going to suffer. So whatever they did to John the Baptist, they're going to do to me. I'm going to suffer the same way. And then Matthew adds a verse that Mark doesn't add. And it's Matthew 17, 13. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So they make the connection in Matthew's version of the gospel that Mark leaves hanging, that they don't make the connection, and that the Elijah that Jesus is talking about is John the Baptist. I want to go into this in a theological way tomorrow because Elijah, remember, they saw resurrection as an end of the world event. And they thought Elijah had to come before the end. So they're confused as about this whole resurrection thing. But Jesus says, you're not wrong. It is the end of a world event. 
Elijah will come first. In fact, Elijah did come first, and the world as you know it is going to come to an end. All of that wrapped up in this arrival of Elijah. We'll get into the theology of the arrival of Elijah, and we'll have to jump out of this text. We'll do that tomorrow. See you then. God bless.